culture's unique in the world. And although they're, you know, there's with the internet, our cultures are, are taking on more and more likenesses of one another in good and bad ways. But uh, it's always been hard for us, I mean, human beings, to make moral distinctions and value judgments. And uh, especially with people that we feel close to or, kin- or some sort of kinship with, you know, if, if you look at professional organizations from uh, police uh, to medical organizations to attorney uh, organizations, they, they all have as one of their purposes to hold you know, their professional organizations to high standards. And they're supposed to police you know, misbehavior. But you know, everybody knows that that's a challenge because you have an affinity uh, with those people with whom you, you, know, you share an identity as, as uh, doctors or teachers or whatever. And even though you know that their behavior reflects on you and your profession, it's still hard sometimes to drop the hammer when you need to or to even challenge them because it's just a human instinct to when you, the more sympathy you feel with someone the harder it is to put real meaningful pressure on them and, and to evaluate them. It's just, it's hard. Now, we can do it, but there is a part of us that finds that awkward, to, to say the least, right? Now, toss in our American, uh, our, our intensifying American virtue of tolerance, and it makes that whole process even harder, right? Uh, and tolerance is a, is a real virtue, you know, I think properly defined and practiced. Uh, it, it is something that, you know, the world hasn't often had enough. In, uh, in the reason why tolerance is such a big thing to, to Western European-rooted nations like, like us is, some of you that know history know, there were religious wars for a long time in Europe. And, the, and our fathers and forefathers, many of us that came from Europe, go, we don't want any more of that craziness, and so we're going to dial back on the making strong religious claims and enforcing them. And that's been kind of rare, actually, in the history of the world. Uh, you know, I want to give you a history lesson here. But uh, what I want to talk about today is something that, that is going to push against that a bit. And, and it's something that's uh, a practice that we all do, but it isn't something we all do well, and it isn't something we always necessarily do very, not just very well, but we don't do it very intentionally. And so if you would, in, uh, back in, in the latter part of the New Testament, there's a letter, one of the letters of one of the apostles, Apostle John, it's called 1 John. It's the, it's the first epistle of John, is sort of the technical title. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are, there are Bibles under the chair seats. And if you're in the front row, you're stuck. So, uh, Although you could ask your neighbors behind you to reach under your chair seat and uh, pass one on to you. 1 John 4 is page 845 in those loner Bibles. Uh, and you know, with, 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 it's, what's interesting is we don't like to make spiritual judgments or, or, or moral distinctions uh, about, especially about religious truth claims and, and you know, people's faith and their ideas. But we make it about everything else. And it's just peculiar that in this area, we find it such an 
uh, sort of has the off-limits sign, right? Like, don't, 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 uh, I mean, if there's anything that people, what was the rule for years and years and years at a party? You don't do what? You don't talk about two things. Politics or religion, right? Well, politics now is in full play, <laughs> 24-7, right? So that, that half of the rule is gone, but now you, you still can't really talk about spiritual matters. It just seems to get charged. Now, I think we can talk about it, and I want to, I want to show you, it, it's, it's not just an option if you're a follower of Jesus. It's, actually, it's not, it's, there shouldn't be an option for anyone, but for a follower of Jesus, it's not an option. It's an imperative. It, it, is, it is not optional. So we're going to start reading in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. And then we're going to pray, because we definitely need to pray before we get into this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. And he's going to give us one of two tests. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now he's going to give them a second test. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world, these, these false teachers, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we want to hear what you have to say from uh, your heart for us today, and, and we believe your word speaks your heart to us. Uh, we, have, we all have different ideas as, as you see our hearts exposed before you right now and, and our minds and our understanding, and we're in a lot of different places. And we just ask that your spirit would teach us and speak to each of us today that we could profit from this in, in significant ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, he starts with something which might surprise you because it, it sounds... It has a feel, on, on, as you first read it, like, ah. He says, test everything. Test everything. And he says, excuse me, he says, dear friends, don't believe every spirit. In other words, don't believe everything. Caveat emptor. But test the spirits to see whether they're from God. So he says, all of you. He, say, he, he, he says, dear friends, which means he's not addressing the professional leadership of the church. He's addressing everybody in the church. And he says, you need to learn to test the spirits. When there is a, when there is a message that claims to be from God or claims or makes, it, it, it can be a claim that doesn't have this is from God, or this is all about spiritual matters, but it has this ultimate authority message, you have to test it. And so he says, you need to examine it. And in a sense, what he's saying is, be skeptical. Skepticism is not a bad thing. You know, keeping your mouth closed is a form of skepticism. When 
you're, you're, you're deciding what you take in when you eat. You don't just take in everything. But we're talking about skepticism about truth, skepticism about ideas. We have to learn to become people that evaluate things in a, in a, in a, in a wise, thoughtful, uh, respectful way. And each of us have to learn to do that better than we're doing it. Because he's, what he says here is that we're in an environment where there's two kinds of messages that are coming at us. There's messages that are coming at us from God, and there's messages that are coming at us that aren't from God. And that all messages are not equal. Now, that's not the average person's assumption. Who The average consumer of spiritual truth and ideas in, in our culture just assumes they're all equal. And it's ironic in a country which has such a highly developed system, various systems of validation and verification. I mean, I mentioned professional associations before. To become an attorney, you, you, you jump through a lot of hoops to be able to put Esquire behind your name and practice law, to become a dentist, a doctor, to teach, to be a police officer. Lots of professions require a very high degree of uh, training and, and uh, preparation because we recognize the influence that they can exert from those positions of trust. And so we want to, to safeguard as many people as possible. And the problem is, we, we, that we, that's a first world experience, but we are in a developing world mentality in terms of how open we are to anything. If you go into the developing world, uh, the World Health Organization says about 30% of the medications that are sold are bad, essentially. And that thousands of people die a year from bad medications, not from the illnesses, but from the medications they're taking to treat the illnesses because they're counterfeits. Anything that's good and valuable and worthwhile is going to get counterfeited. And so all he's saying, he's acknowledging a common sense observation is we need to be discerning about what we take in. But, but just like in the third world, those people tend to live, you know, I'm sick, I don't have enough money, I'm going to try this medication. Might be okay, might not, but I'm going to roll the dice because I don't really have a choice. Uh, we do have a choice in, in this respect. But what a lot of us don't do is we're not willing to examine the criteria we use, I think, very closely. And because all of us have criteria that we use to examine things. The question is, how good is your criteria? And John, who was one of the apostolic leaders of the early church, he gave the church two simple tests. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard either. But there, there's tests that the church has used for 2,000 years. Actually, they're, they're tests in a sense that the, in another form that was used in the Old Testament. The Jews used these same two tests. John was a Jew who became a follower of Jesus. And so he says that there's many false prophets who speak in God's name, who spread error, and they're dangerous. Some messages come from God and they bring life. Other messages don't come from God and they bring great harm. That's what it boils down to. And he says that 
And this is the point I want you to take away. We need to test everything because Jesus is the only source of safe spiritual power. Jesus is the only source of spiritual power. And there's lots of messages that are offering us tastes of spiritual power. And some of them don't come in spiritual packages. They come in because Americans take all kinds of things and we repackage them. We're really good at that. Americans are the marketing geniuses of the world. You know, we can market anything. We market marketing. And the thing is, when you change a package, which merchandisers do all the time, packages get labeled and an identity and recognized and they lose their value over time and so they redesign them. But if, if you take a product that's harmful like cyanide and you, and you put a Mars bar package around it and ask people to eat it, it's going to have the same effect. And, if, uh, you know, so there's, uh, there, now, you know, that would, that would kind of, uh, me even saying this, it's like the Tylenol scare back in the day. Uh, people said that Tylenol are poison, and, it, you know, the Tylenol stock dropped, even though it wasn't. Now, I guess there was a time when Tylenol was poison. But how would you determine if a Mars bar was bad for you? Well, you hope that the FDA and the uh, system that safeguards the production of our foods is, is working, right? Same thing with... Uh, uh, all the different ways that we uh, believe that we have a, a kinds of protection for where we're vulnerable because our lives interact and overlap so much. Well, in this area, we have to really be, uh, I think, a little bit more attentive. Now, the problem is, is when you start talking about testing truth claims and testing religious claims and things, people start, I think, probably with, with somewhat good reason, objecting to that. And they go, you Christians think you have a corner on the truth. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I mean, I wish I had a, 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 not just $10, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone has said that to me. And, and it is a point that is central to the, the gospel, that, that Jesus is the only way to God. And that, that in our, again, in our culture of tolerance, it really puts you off. And I remember listening, I listen to NPR when I'm driving as part of what I listen to. And uh, one day I heard an NPR, one of their, four, uh, uh, one of their European correspondents, and uh, I always think that the NPR correspondents have got to, that they hire them according to how exotic their names sound. <laughs> right? You ever notice that? Like Razir Iqbal. And, and she's so cultured. In, in her interviews, you know, I wish I could sound half that cultured and intelligent. But one of their correspondents was interviewing uh, a Buddhist and who was, uh, was, was, was teaching in America. And, and, of course, the NPR person was trying to bring, uh, you know, all the questions to this person that she thought her audience might ask. And, and, and of course, uh, this, this correspondent said, what does it feel like to you to come to a country where there's so many Christians who claim that they have the, you know, the unique view of the truth and that Jesus is the only way to God? Uh, and the, 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 this Buddhist teacher just laughed and he said, 
Well, I'm really not bothered by that because we believe that you can't find the, the truth unless you follow the eightfold path. And the correspondent said, it was ruffled. <laughs> There's, you, could, you could tell, she go, well, oh, and he goes, I don't understand what you, and then he went on to say, I don't understand what you Westerners don't get. We all say that we have the truth. That's why we're following it. And, and then he referenced some Hindu acquaintances who said, and Hinduism is a real broad you know, belief system. He said, they believe they have the truth. And I have Confucian scholars that I interact with, and they believe they have the truth. So, and, and certainly the Muslims that are in your country you've discovered believe they have the truth. And it's like we in Americans, we're so, we're, we're so naive. Everybody else thinks they have the truth. But in America, we're offended by that. But we're really mainly in America only offended because Christians say that. And yet, that's, that's at the heart of every faith claim. And, you know, Hinduism is the closest probably to, you know, giving some room for everybody to, uh, you know, all roads to lead to heaven and all the dogs go to heaven. But even Hindus, you know, uh, as broad a teaching school of thought as it is, they have specifics that they say, this is it. You need to buy into this. You need to embrace this. This is, this is God's revealed path. So I don't, I, Jesus himself, and because he was an exclusivist of, you know, the, as we say, the first order. And Jesus warned in, in a number of his discourses, he said, listen, at a certain point, people are, after I leave, people are going to come and they're going to say, I'm the Christ, follow me. And he said, be on your guard, don't be deceived. Don't get trapped into a teaching that comes from a source that's not God. And he warned his disciples, and, you would, and he said that, that these teachings are going to try to seduce you and deceive you, and if possible, to deceive you, if it's possible to deceive the elect. And so, when, when the disciples that would read this would go, okay, so what is it, if we're supposed to test the spirits? Now see, John's writing this to a Gentile community the Jewish community had been raised and nurtured to be a community of discernment. They were a community of the book. They were a community of one God. They didn't believe other gods. They, didn't, they, 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 they understood what idolatry was and all of its forms, and that they believed they were an ocean and a sea of idolatry. But that God loved all those pagan idolaters, and he wanted them to know what he was like because of him choosing this one people, the Jews, and setting them where he set them so that they'd be a light to the nations. He kept saying that. God said that to the Jewish people over and over and over. You're a light to the nations. You're a light to the nations. I want them to see what I'm like. Because there is a difference between me and the idols that they believe. And so the, the, the church here was being invaded by false teachers. And so John, being a good pastor... And a good shepherd said, listen, you have to become aware of what's happening and you need to test. You need to be able to, you need to be open. You know, I was thinking this week, how much I stress, as I was getting ready to teach this, how much I stress to you to be vulnerable to God. And to be vulnerable is a way of life. And this seems to 
counter that idea to be skeptical. But it doesn't. It really doesn't. Because skepticism is not a wall, except it's a wall that has a window in it and a door in it. It's a wall in which you allow access, selective access. It's like our skin. Our skin's our biggest organ. But it protects us from harmful bacteria and things outside of our body. Yet it's permeable. But it's selective. And our, our, our skepticism has to have a basis. And so John gave them two simple tests. And one I'm going to call the Jesus test, and the other one's the apostolic witness test. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on both of them. He, he assumed certain a certain level of understanding with these followers of Jesus. Now, we might not have that. I can't assume that you, you have what they had. I don't mean that as a slight. I just mean that they were oftentimes really well taught. You know, I look at myself and I go, I don't hold a candle to those apostolic teachers. Plus, many of those people had seen Jesus. Or, or they knew G- people who knew, had known Jesus. And, and oral tradition was really important to them. And they were very good at passing along oral tradition and memorizing incredible amounts of information and passing it along faithfully. There are still communities in the world today that use oral tradition and are just as effective at passing on important truth as we are in our written culture. And that, you know, that surprises some people, but it's true. You'd you'd be surprised at what people's memory is capable of retaining, uh, properly trained. Well, John says to them, listen... The litmus test for every spirit and every teaching is Jesus. And what he says is that, that he uses this phrase that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, he might have said some other things, but that particular heresy and the teaching that was coming into the church was challenging that. But what he said was that he established this, uh, this plumb line of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and he said that truth comes to us in a person. Truth comes to us in a person, in the person of Jesus, that God came into the world and revealed himself to us through his son, and he was a person. That truth is relational. It's not just abstract, it's relational. Sin, if you look at what sin is in the Bible, it always boils down to Relational terms. Sin is always about relationships and and how certain behaviors damage relationships, which are the most important thing we have. Hence, the, the serious consequences from God when we damage the most important things we have, our relationships with God, with one another, with our enemies, with strangers, with our neighbors. The law of love covers all of those relationships, including our relationship with God. And so, he says, uh, they knew that they could count on Jesus as the plumb line, the perfect plumb line of all truth claims, because Jesus measured up to all the greatest teachers in history, except something about him made him unique. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He, he claimed to be the, repre- the, the sole representative of God's voice in the world. 
Not that God had never spoken anywhere else, or nobody else had any truth. But what he said was, his truth validated where they validated God's truth, but his truth where theirs clashed with his, his held the, the authoritative final word, and it was vindicated, his teaching and his person was vindicated by his resurrection from the dead. He was crucified, and then unlike all the other teachers in the world, who many, many taught wonderful things, he was raised from the dead to give people confidence that God had really spoken through him. That's what gives us confidence that God really speaks. And that he spoke finally and authoritatively. And so the church could look back at who Jesus was in his life and say, we have a standard. We have a standard for truth that we can test other truth claims against. And so other truth claims that distort or diminish Jesus are to be rejected. You just go, I'm not buying into that. Not that it might not have some value, but when push comes to shove, I'm going to take what Jesus said and who he was and what he emphasized and not those things. And it's not very hard to do that. It really isn't. And there are aspects of who Jesus was that John was emphasizing there that were at issue in that church, and I don't have time to go into those things, there was, there was a group of people called Gnostics, who we have a lot of modern Gnostics today, who teach in, in, in inside and outside the church. And he gave them a, a simple way of validating those teachings and then assessing them and rejecting them because Gnostic teaching was dangerous. Now, here's the thing. I said to you before, there's teaching that comes from God that gives life, and there's teaching that doesn't come from God that's dangerous. It doesn't mean it might not bring some benefit. And I'm going to get to this in a second. But it, it, there's a consequence to it that you have to watch out for. You have to become aware of. Uh, I want to skip over some things I wanted to say. Uh, The, the first test was the Jesus test. The second test was the apostolic witness test. That's where the apostles had this self-conscious sense of authority that's kind of like, wow, who do you think you are kind of authority. It's one thing for Jesus to say, if you don't listen to me, God rejects you. That's tough to swallow, but then you see Jesus, the weight of who he was, his life, his authority, his power, his resurrection, it validates it. And you might quibble with and not like some of the things he says, you know, because nobody likes the part that says love your enemies. Nobody likes that. Nobody. Anywhere. Anytime throughout history is ever going to like the love your enemies part. And most of us don't like forgive people part. Because at any given time, people have offended us deeply. And it's very hard to forgive them. Very, very hard. I told you a story last week of a friend, I won't retell it, who experienced the power of forgiving other people. What it does in your life. When you embrace, so what Jesus validated was, when you follow Jesus, your life goes as, as best as it, a human life can go in a fallen world. And they had generation after generation after generation 
of that being validated. And, the Jew, and, and then Jesus built on the history of God being among the Jewish people and all the interactions between God and people. And, and as the people obeyed God, their favor was on their life. You can look at the Jewish people now. I won't belabor this point, but is there ever a group of people in the world that have a, a small group of people that had this much influence in, in every arena of life and that have endured literally attempts to exterminate them over and over and over and over? Nobody. You have to say there's something about that group of people that is exceptional. I won't go into that whole political firefight right now. I don't, probably will never go into that. But they could look at Jesus and say, if we follow Jesus, we're safe. And you know the word antichrist? Uh, I learned something this week that I'd never learned before. I was, I was looking into the original language a little bit. And every time I've ever heard the word antichrist used, I've always heard it as a, a person who's like this growling, mean, you know, if there's an antichrist, he's like so easy to spot because the, word, the, the Greek word anti means against. But... I discovered him, I studied this week, it also means instead of. Which is a very soft, ambivalent sort of an interpretation. You, so do you see how that could, that could be interpreted really differently? Because it's one thing, you know, everybody's afraid of a snarling dog. But you've got a, a dog sitting there, it's kind of wagging its tail, and you go up to it like that, and then, you know? That's both, both those dogs could illustrate what antichrist means. Not just the snarling mean dog, the dog that's wagging its tail and just waiting for you to get into arm's length so they can, you know, grasp onto your hand and shred it. But it looks so friendly and nice, and it's just wagging its tail. You know, it's, it's probably a real old dog with no teeth. It's benign. But what John says is, no, everything that's bad for you doesn't look bad for you. It doesn't sound bad for you. And so he said, let me read what, what the, uh, this last part. He said, uh, they, these false teachers, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever, does, whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now that's a pretty brash thing to say. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So what he's saying is, we apostolic, hand-picked leaders from Jesus are speaking in Jesus' name like he was speaking. And if you listen to our teaching, it shows that you're on God's side. If you don't, it shows you're not on God's side. Now, that, that's hard to swallow. Just raise your hand if, if when you hear that, you bristle a little bit, just honestly. I read it this week, and I, I went, wow, that, anybody, am I the only one? I'm the pastor here. Why am I the only one that, you know, okay, Steve, there's a couple of honest people here. Anna, thank you. Anybody else want to give me a little, a little reinforcement now? Okay, there's a couple more people back there. It is. It's kind of hard because it feels like that's the kind of talk, John, that gets us in, that makes everybody not like us. And not want to listen to us, right? Isn't it? But you understand? Do 
They're either true, it's either true or it's not. And I'm not saying in, in this moment, I'm not going to try to, to, to justify that, except I say, I think there's merit in their argument. And he's giving that as a test. And so he's saying, when you hear a message that purports to give you spiritual truth, if it diminishes or distorts the apostolic teaching of the New Testament, then you have to know it's not from God. Because the, Jesus was the final word, and then he left his, his people to represent him kindly, respectfully, but clearly. And he called them to begin to go into the world and differentiate between these, all these different sources of truth that, that were claiming to speak from God. Because that's what a prophet is. And it, it, the word's real simple. It means just someone who's speaking God's name or, or speaking, so to speak, with divine authority. And, and claiming to, to, that their teaching should bind you to some kind of behavior and belief. So the problem with this is spiritual power, when we submit to it, comes with an effect in our lives. And this is what John is warning them about. Because claims to spiritual truth and spiritual power impact our lives in, in significant ways. Therefore, we should test those things. Just like we realize, like, like uh, Joel McCune's a dentist. Joel went through you know, a lot of training and ongoing certification to maintain his professional credentials. Why? Because when you open your mouth and you let people put sharp instruments and drills and things in there, some bad things can happen if they don't know what they're doing. Joel is my dentist, and I can vouch for him. I've hardly ever experienced a bit of pain with him. Once it was a little painful. <laughs> but with all the problems I've had, I don't expect to go in there unscathed. So. But you see, that's like this is a vital area of our lives, our, 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 the dental region. And our soul, is there anything more vital than that? Anything that's going to invade that and impact our life is going to touch every dimension of our lives. And I want you to take away one single point from this. You need to learn to test the messages that purport to be from God or that have even neo-spiritual implications. Alternative medicine is full of those things. And if you want to ask me questions about specific things like Reiki and, and other forms of alternative medicine because we're talking about healing. I'll, I'll give you my two cents about these things. They're not benign. We have to test things because all spiritual power is not safe. And the only true, safe spiritual power and spiritual truth comes from Jesus. We can see that. Now, here's the, here's the consequences. I titled this talk, The Downside of Believing Everything. Meaning, if you buy into things that, that, don't mat, don't, that don't pass the Jesus test and the apostolic witness test, you're getting yourself involved with spiritual power that will cost you something. I've seen it my whole Christian life. And when we open ourselves up to these messages, behind those messages, what John's saying is spiritual power. And in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they use this word idolatry. 
And idols are counterfeit representations of God. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, some kind of physical idol is nothing but something that's been shaped by human hands. But spiritual forces will use that object to gain control of people who believe that that object represents some spiritual power that can protect them or provide for them. Idolatry is about a power that's greater than us that can help us in this world of powers that are greater than us by providing for us or protecting us. Uh, Where is... I don't want the whole worship team. Is Brandon still in here? Brandon, oh, right in front of me. I want to lead you into to this, a, a time of prayer. And uh, idolatry is this big deal all through the Bible. We tend to think it's just something that happens in other countries that aren't educated like us. But idolatry is just as prevalent among us as it is in India or in any place where they, uh, they fall down in front of objects that people have made that represent, you know, deities. Those deities have real power. And when we open our hearts and our lives up to them, they begin to exert some measure of power over our lives in different levels of our lives. Because it's like if you... My wife grew up in New York City, and there's you know lots of movies are set in New York City and times where which it still goes on. There there's a there's a form of criminal activity called the protection racket. You guys know what that is? It's you know where gangs come into a community and they claim this turf and they go from merchant to merchant and they say you could have some bad things happen to you. There's some bad people out there, but we will protect you. You need to pay us three hundred dollars a week. And we'll make sure that, uh, you know, people don't break into your, uh, into your store and harm you. Because that, they wink, that, that could happen to you. There are some bad people out there. And, of course, oftentimes shopkeepers feeling very vulnerable go, okay, you know, we'll give you the, the $300 a week for protection. But do you understand what happens is they're protected, but also those guys can come in if they have, own a restaurant and say, you know, we want to eat free. Well, you give out enough free meals on top of $300, you're gonna, it's going to start impacting your life. And when we look to something besides Jesus to provide for us and protect us, then we open ourselves up to things. Now, that, that says nothing about medicine. There's lots of natural things that God's made that are good. We're talking about things that have spiritual power and influence. And in idolatry, we make covenants with idols where we, we, and it's an implied covenant. A lot of times we don't realize we're making covenants with things that have power. They understand it. When, when those shopkeepers give the $300 to the representative of the gang, that implies a perpetual agreement. They don't sign a contract, but it's an understood contractual obligation. And we're protecting you. You're giving us $300, but that might not be all that we're going to ask for. And what 
it boils down to is really simple. When we follow Jesus, he asks us to surrender our will to him. Now that looks like what, you know, what these contractual uh, protection rackets, spiritual protection rackets are doing. But the truth is, when you give that money, you're buying something, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's a release. Like, oh my gosh, look, I get something immediately. But what, the way that, that life works, that reflects the kingdom is, pain precedes gain. When gain comes first, you can tell the pain is going to come next. Do you get it? The spiritually seductive messages say, we can help you avoid the pain that you're in. And what you give us is there's no pain to it. I remember when I was taught transcendental meditation as a young man, the, the, the word I was given to meditate on and to repeat over and over, I didn't understand till later, was the name of a Hindu deity. And as I meditated and repeated this word out loud, I was told it was just, gonna, it was just an aid to help me to relax. And let me tell you something, meditation and being quiet is a wonderful practice no matter what you do. If you just get quiet for a little time, a little bit every day, your life will be a lot better. It will be amazingly improved just if you do that. Not even if you pray, if you just get quiet. I used to meditate and use that word, and I found out I'm, I'm praying to a, a, a Hebrew deity. What am I doing? It just seems so innocent. Now, you know, you might not buy the danger in that, and you can have dialogue about that. I'm not expecting every one of you to, to just, yeah, John, you know, I want you to test what I'm saying. You need to. You need to think for yourself. But I'm trying to, to mount an argument here that spiritual power is dangerous. It's available to us all the time. And it doesn't come in forms that necessarily on the package say we're spiritual, that we have to begin to examine them and look at them and talk and think. That's where the apostolic witness is really handy because the church over centuries has wrestled with all kinds of issues. And some pretty smart, godly, wise, good people have, have wrestled with these things and have, and have forged understandings and approaches that really match the Jesus test and they really work in our lives. But if you're going to reject idolatry, it's going to be painful. And then the gain comes. Jesus says, if you want the life that I have for you, you have to take up your cross, follow me, and you'll find life. And the, the false message offers you all the goods up front and no pain, but the pain always comes. And it comes unexpectedly, and it's far more expensive than you thought it was going to be. Because the people who buy the protection rack, buy into the protection racket, it costs them more than $300 a week, always. But Jesus lets you know up front, I want everything in your life because I gave everything for you. And I'm taking the mess you made. And if you give it to me, I will give you back my life. That perfect life you saw Jesus live, he says, I will live it in your life. I will give you the capacity to become the person you are meant to be, but you can't do it without me. 
He's the only person that did it perfectly. And he invites us into that life. Not because we have earned it or deserve it or we can do anything to get it. We receive it as a gift. That's what faith is. It's trust. And then we, we move into this life in a journey, as a journey, in a company of imperfect people. Holy means set apart. It doesn't mean perfect. It means I'm on a journey to try to be like Jesus as much as possible for the rest of my life. And I'm going to fail a lot, but I'm going to get up and go forward. That's what church is. It is not a place for perfect people. It isn't. It's a place for people who are on a journey of trying to follow Jesus and sort out what it means for him to be the Lord of your life. And that takes a process to do that. No matter how well you know what you should be doing, you're not going to master that life of Jesus in a moment, in a, in a day, in a week, in a month, in a lifetime. And that's what, I think that's what holiness is. And we can't, again, we don't have time to nuance that. What I want to ask you to do today is, I haven't named names in terms of, you know, spiritual messages, but idolatry is not just direct idolatry. Another kind of idolatry are behaviors. Behaviors are, and lifestyles that we use to meet needs in our life become idols. And they need to be rejected just like a, a, a counterfeit religious claim needs to be rejected. I repented of my involvement in transcendental meditation because I realized it was a form of worship. There are all kinds of practices that have come, you know, they're part of our day-to-day -day lives that are spiritual counterfeits. I'm not talking about them. I, I am talking about them, but there's also just idolatry, this lifestyle idolatry. Some of us have bought into greed and climbing the ladder of success and affluence because of what it offers us to meet the deepest needs of our lives. That's a form of idolatry. The New Testament, Jesus and his disciples taught that greed is idolatry. And that Jesus has to be the, the, the center of your heart. And so Jesus used to say to rich people he would meet, he would say, you can't love God and money at the same time. Because you can only have one God that's the center of your life. Sex can be a God. All kinds of things function like idols, meaning they meet deep needs in our life that they were never meant to meet. They're idols, and we have to repent of them because what the enemy does, just like that little stone statue becomes an object of worship and dark powers work through that and enslave those that worship it, our lifestyles of greed and morality and, and you know, pagan uh, culture can, be, can function as an idol in the same way and that we come under dark powers who rule our lives. All of us know what it's like to start doing something that gives us some relief and then it takes over our lives, doesn't it? That's how you can tell something is an idol. It starts taking over your life. Do you feel that in any area of your life? Do you feel that? Freedom is in a person. What I want to do is, we want to sing that song again that we, 
we, uh, that we introduced today set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I want more of you, God. See, I don't want to give you truth, just this abstract portion of truth that you take home. What our, our goal here at the Vineyard is, we want you to meet Jesus more every week you come here and experience his life invading your life and then for you to go out and live from this richer resource of Jesus that you've met, truth. Not a lesson you go out and then you kind of write some notes down and you try to apply it. I'm not saying that that, that that doesn't have value because knowledge and truth are part of meeting Jesus, but insight won't change you unless there's an experience that's part of it. And, and people who tell you you don't need an experience of God are biblically illiterate. They're biblically illiterate. I've, timed, I've, I've talked about this many times, so I'm not going to say any more than that. We need to meet Jesus personally. The greatest test that I can arm you with is the Jesus test. I've gotten around situations that sound christian and use Jesus language, and I felt really weird. I, I mean, like the little... I got some big idiot lights on my dashboard. And they, I've gotten in situations before, and they've gone off. And I haven't known exactly how to boil it down, but I know inside, I know what Jesus feels like. This doesn't feel like Jesus. This isn't about Jesus. There's, this is ego and personality and control and a lot of rules. and a lot of, It's not Jesus. There's not like 